This is episode 79. What I realized was I was a shell of myself. I didn't know what was happening to me. In this episode of All Hazards, the supermen and wonder women of the fire service are human, and we're learning they're more fragile than we believed or admitted. I didn't know what was happening to me and trying to keep a smile on my face thinking, you know, I'm a fireman, I'll be all right. Little did I know it took me to the deepest, darkest places we don't talk about. Their on-the-job experiences, stress, and pressure can lead to depression. In fact, a recent study by the Ruderman Family Foundation revealed first responders are more likely to die by suicide than in the line of duty. In 2017, there were at least 103 firefighter suicides. Our guest today says post-traumatic stress led him right up to that line. Didn't care, I think it's what it boiled down to, Sean. I was done. He's telling his story to you today because he says there needs to be more awareness, more help, and a change in attitude. We have to change that stigma because it's okay. We've got people hurting across, not just our agency, as you well know. It's time to check on our brothers and sisters. Post-traumatic stress and firefighters. Our guest is Cal Fire Battalion Chief Mike Moeller, right now. Mike, good to talk to you finally. Yes, Sean, as always, my friend, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, man. Uh, you and I have known each other for, gosh, I don't know, um, going on probably six years. Uh, you, as a battalion chief with CAL FIRE, you and I have had the opportunity to, to interact quite a bit. And then um, not too long ago, I noticed that you had taken some time off. And the next thing I know, I hear that you had removed yourself to get some some help. And the term that was used at that time was PTSD. And I was really kind of surprised because every time I saw you, you were always amped up. You were always a happy guy. You always had a smile on your face, but yet you apparently were dealing with some PTSD. What can you tell me about that, at least initially? No, absolutely, Sean. And, and I got to thank you for, yes, we've worked together. Uh, you're an amazing professional. And when you when I saw this request from you, I, I couldn't think of a better platform to share my story. And so um, just a quick snapshot, um, you know, I've been riding on a fire engine since I was 15, the Explorer program, you know, I've worked um, in the fire service for years through my career, uh, promoting all the way to battalion chief, I promoted to deputy director of communications uh, with Cal Fire. Around May, middle of May of this year, what I realized was I was a shell of myself. I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, I had heard of PTS, I'd heard of PTSD, PTSI. Is it an injury? Is it a disorder? And realized that something wasn't right with me. I'd moved. And in May, um, realized something was not quite so right. Um, I had gone into self-isolation, which I thought, the funny thing is, Sean, as, as you will know, as, as first responders, we become addicted to our significance, but we also think that we're not, we think we're invincible and that uh, that's somebody else. It's not me. And what was really happening was I was going into, which after I'll go into uh, getting help, was I was in a deep, deep, uh, had gone into a pretty much a PTS depression, had severe 
post-traumatic stress disorder, was doing self-isolation, became my only life, became my work, self-isolated from my family. Long story short, uh, you know, you start to self-medicate because what it's called is the noise in your head. You can't stop it. It's either Mm -hmm. flashbacks, triggers, and we're not trained to deal with that yet. We're getting much better, but I didn't know what was happening to me and trying to keep a smile on my face thinking, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a fireman. I'll be all right. And little did I know it took me to the deepest, darkest places we don't talk about to the point where I thought that everything was pretty much done for me in my life. And uh, in the middle of May, towards the end of May, through some very, very close friends at work, um, I pretty much imploded on duty and then headed for and found some uh, help with PTSD. Uh, what can you tell me about that that situation that you were in uh, when you were on the job? Um, yeah. Was it something that, that actually prevented you from performing your job? It did not necessarily prevented you from, from performing, but at the level that we're all expected to or used to, yes, it did. It um, You can't focus, um, your memory uh, becomes uh, faded, um, you have no drive, um, you want to be there because it's the only thing you feel safe at. It is your job. Become this inner person. And then um, you go into this depression that really, I never thought, you know, we have this stereotypical of what depression looks like, you know, sitting, you know, with the drapes closed in a dark room or something like that is what came to my mind. I thought, no, I'm out in the field. I have a smile on my face. Um, but what had happened, and I think it was May 27th or 28th, um, pretty much just it broke down under stress in um, in the department through our employee support services had uh, helped me get to a place called the first responders program. But I can tell you, Sean, and we've worked together a lot of years um, at that level, the stress, and it's not just that, it was a culmination of years on the job, you know, being away from home, family issues, divorces, um, and I think back is, you know, I went through two marriages. Was it something that was it could have been identified earlier? And um, now the education that I have, it's a daily battle. And let, let me get that right out there, Sean, is you never get fixed from it. You have to you have to do daily disciplines to keep the triggers away Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, not have the flashbacks or triggers. But I will tell you, there's a lot of things, just simple things that people can identify. And I push them out through social media. I'm working with some programs right now. But Sean, I I would say, yes, I was to the point where I wasn't performing at the level I should have been and didn't know what was happening to me. Hmm. Did someone have to tell you that or did you recognize that yourself? Um, so, you know, friends had come to me because, again, we get addicted to our significance. And this, and that's not a bad thing um, because we always want to perform well in our jobs. But I had friends come to me and uh, a very close friend um, that's, you know, worked with me in Sacramento came to me and goes, you know, the, the, and it's a perfect word. Even, uh, you know, um, relationships, my kids said, Dad, you're a different person. You're like a robot. Um, I came home on Father's Day. I'll never forget it. And my son, my youngest son said to me, Dad, you look like the president. And the first thing I thought was, wow, that's pretty cool. He goes, no, Dad, you look like you have so much stress on you that you've aged like a president. Oh, man. And I realized, wow, something's happening to me. And I didn't. I didn't, Sean. I didn't know what it was. Um, and people were saying around me, hey, are you okay? I wasn't sleeping. I would maybe get two or three hours of sleep. Um, I, you know, I was living on caffeine. And, you know, you, you start to numb it and alcohol wasn't my thing. Um, you know, I was prescribed uh, a Lexapro, but those things don't fix it, Sean. There's really a program that we all have to go to or at least learn the, the techniques to deal with it. Right. So what were you doing to try and at least get some sleep? 
So I would, so sleeping was, I would get home, I do emails again. And then we, this is comes right into the time of COVID. As you well know, we were there together. Um, we're working from home a lot, but still had to be in the field is uh, trying to sleep is I would just lay on the couch and in, in uh, really in my lazy boy. And that's that self-isolation and try to fall asleep. Mm. Um, and then next thing you know, I would maybe have my eyes closed and it'd be, you know, time to get up six 30 in the morning. So there was nothing there exactly. I was trying to do to sleep. Mm-hmm. It was more of, I was, you know, seeking help through a doctor, um, trying to self-medicate, you know, with melatonin. Mm-hmm. And if I had, you know, uh, the Lexapro or something like that, I realized this isn't me. And so I just kind of struggled through it and said, it'll pass, it'll go away. Right. And it was destroying my health um, literally every day. Both physical and mental. Absolutely. Was it that moment that you had that implosion that you first sort of realized that there was an issue or did, or did you suspect something a little sooner than that? I suspected something. I, I, I think what it is, is you don't know what's wrong with you because, you know, unless you've gone through it or really taken some classes on PTS, we 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 work together in such a tight community, both fire and first responders, uh, as you well know, um, you know, the people that we work with, we, you know, see each other on a daily basis is, well, if, you know, everybody handles their business, it's okay. Well, it's really not. Um, I think I, I noticed I, I think it's that noise and I can explain that later in it, but the noise in your head is the, the trigger points is that I was okay. Um, I knew one thing was my physical fitness. I am all about fitness. I love it. Um, it kind of just drifted away. Um, you know, the yoga, the, the getting up in the morning and running and lifting, that was always my thing. And that kind of drifted. And that was kind of my first cursor and then trying to, you know, figure out how I was going to fall asleep at night. Um, and then I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was, Sean. I didn't know that that was the noise in my head because we weren't diagnosed. We didn't, I didn't know how to handle it. Ironically, those very things that kept you fit were the first things to fade away. It's exactly it. Routine is everything. And, you know, it's, as I go through this process, and in fact, I'll, I'll talk, you know, when the question comes up, but I'm actually going to, in November, to the University of Colorado for two weeks for a study on my brain for PTS and the mm-hmm. swelling and, and the different parts, because really PTS affects several things. One is empathy, compassion, and then able to make an emotional decision um, operationally in our world, um, all of that slows down. We compartmentalize and then we become very, that self-isolation, we became very short-tempered. And that was part of the learning curve was how do I get back to that? Is there a way to distinguish the kind of PTS that, that firefighters go through with, let's say the same kind of thing that the, the military goes through? Are they similar, related? We'll get Mike's answer to that when we continue in just a moment. Coming up. You don't want to get to the point where it does all come out at once because that's exactly what happened is I just broke down. I couldn't I couldn't think. I wasn't healthy. Stress management in the fire service. Mike's problems snuck up on him over the years, and those triggers kept prodding him. The memories of emergencies past, even the smells. That high-definition movie on repeat got louder and louder. Volume in your head is so loud, you just want to turn it down. And guess what? When you don't know how to turn it down and have the tools, there's only one way to turn it down, and that's in your life. Let's get back to our conversation with Cal Fire Battalion Chief Mike Moeller. Is there a way to distinguish the kind of PTS that, that firefighters go through with, let's say, the same kind of thing that the, the military goes through? Are they similar, related? Do you know about that? Uh, 
I, I do. And that's a great question. In fact, the program that I went through, the first one I went to in Southern California, it's, uh, it's called the First Responder Program. It's in uh based out of Newport Beach and there's a doctor there by the by the name of Stephen Odom who has who gets first responders and I will tell you Sean I was in that group with um, I did 80 days there of what we call programming technique called EMDR which helps take the um, the shock factor away from your triggers of actually having flashbacks or depression there are things in there so what had happened was I was in there with law enforcement and military and it was funny Dr. Odom would tell us you could and we live in houses with each other which was part of the healing process I, I was in a house with Seattle police Los Angeles fire department um, and these are all names that I've, I've talked to the departments that I can share that we all lived under the same roof six of us and it was funny the doctor would come in on Saturdays we'd all have breakfast and we would program, which meaning how to use it, get your brain back to how it would function in a, you know, with empathy and emotion and in those kind of things. But the funny thing was, Sean, is you listen to all the military guys, the law enforcement and fire, and you could write the book, the doctor would say, and you could just change the name. Oh, we were exactly the same. The symptoms are exactly the same. Boy. It's amazing. Boy, that's powerful. So what were their triggers for you? So there's several, you know, um, several things come into PTS. It, it, can, it starts from childhood. They teach you about, you know, a lot of the stuff, Sean, and, and, and like I said, we've known each other for a long time was I, a lot of the stuff I was like, no, that, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, it's scientific. And a lot of it comes from what they call your inner child. What was your upbringing? Were you from a family of, you know, abuse or alcoholism or distance, like similar to firefighters? Um, my dad wasn't a fireman, but there is a lot of distance where your family isn't home. Those are the triggers, but trigger or those are things that can uh, contribute to PTS. So uh, when my son, my oldest son was nine years old and I've seen a lot of trauma, but triggers, he was hit by a vehicle that I witnessed. Um, I've seen, so like children calls auto versus pedestrian, but literally Sean, I got to the point where I would, um, I remember watching a commercial on, or a story on national news yeah. and it was about minivans. It was about the passenger or the driver's seat. If you got rear-ended, the driver's seat of a minivan would, unlock and hit the car seat in the back seat. I remember seeing that story. It was about six months ago on, uh, I think it was uh, ABC nightly news. Mm -hmm. And I watched that and I had been on a call like that and there, you get it sights, it smells, but I saw that, I saw that story, Sean, and I couldn't even focus. I broke down in, literally emotionally oh. from a trigger that I still had in my head from being on a call of an infant that was killed because of that exact thing. Certain smells can trigger it. Um, you know, being on a structure fire where somebody has burned in there. Um, it's, we become what's called a heightened sense of awareness. If you look at first responders, rarely do we put our backs to a door of a public place. Um, and that's part of PTS. What people don't understand is your heightened sense of awareness is one of the signs of PTS is we can't relax in a crowded area. Those are just some of them. It's, it's very interesting. Even though you're not a police officer, you're not law right. enforcement, you're a firefighter. So you still have that self-awareness of, you know, always keeping your eye on the door. You, you do. You do. Because, you know, some of the things that we learn is always map your exits when you enter a building. Oh, yeah. And after you go through, you know, 30 years of doing that, um, it becomes, I remember I was with my girlfriend in Chicago two years ago, at St. Patrick's Day Parade in Chicago. And, you know, this obviously it's crowded. And I could not relax because the crowd got so big. I kept telling her, hey, we need to find an exit out of here. And she's like, are you all right? And I said, no, we need to make sure I got to make sure you're safe. We're, if this crowd shifts. And 
I, I became sure with her, but I was trying to protect her, but it was that heightened sense of awareness that our body doesn't function. Our brain doesn't function normally anymore where that's all we think about. We don't think about enjoy the sights, the smell of the actual situation that's happening. We're just worried about somebody getting hurt. That's where that empathy has gone away. So it's very interesting. So these things that you, as a firefighter, that have tucked away, have put away into a file cabinet somewhere mentally, these are the things that build up over time. And eventually you've got some kind of a trigger that is going to release, that's going to open that drawer and all these things are going to come flying out. That's, that's exactly it. And I think, and, and to go through, as you well know, you brought it up earlier that I was, I was, uh, I was fortunate uh, that, you know, our agency is amazing to promote to deputy director of communications, but I didn't realize what was happening to me uh, under the stress because it doesn't necessarily have to be a firefighting call or, um, you know, OES responding to a, a major incident, you know, where we're out there. It can be the stress of just the daily job. I didn't realize what was happening to me. So at the point I got into, uh, the trigger is what happens is you don't want to get to the point where it all dumps out like that. And that's where we start looking at when, uh, you know, the, the suicide portion of it, you know, for the first time this year, firefighter suicides outpaced line of duty deaths. And that is a problem. And that's not just fire service, as you well know, that's law enforcement. 22 vets a day are taking their own lives is I can tell you that rondering down that road, it's not, your brain doesn't c compute like a normal person would that doesn't have that trauma there. So it has to be dealt with, but um, you don't want to get to the point where it does all come out at once because that's not good. And that's pretty much what happened when I say implode on duty. And I use that term because that's exactly what happened is I just broke down. I couldn't, I couldn't think I wasn't healthy. I, I was sleep deprived, you know, trying to go off of what a doctor had prescribed me, you know, just not focusing, didn't care. I think it's what it boiled down to, Sean. I was done. And um, this this program that I went through, the first responder, it teaches you that and more. And then I applied for a program called Save a Warrior, which is military and law enforcement and fire also, which uh, is in Ohio and one in Southern California. And I'll tell you, Sean, that program is absolutely amazing. You go in as 11 individuals, and I, I literally came out of there with 10 brothers that will be lifelong friends that were struggling with the same thing. So tell me about um, the uh, self-awareness of going through a program like that. Was there ever any moment where you felt like, yeah, this is silly, but then maybe you just gave in? No, Sean, you, <laughs> buddy, it was like you were there with me. I will tell you, um, I imploded on duty and I knew something was wrong. And I had some very close people in the, in the department that said, hey, we're going we're gonna to help you. We're going to figure this out. And got me to Huntington Beach. And I think one of the things, and that's what I'm trying to push, is we have to change the stigma that, that it, people, it's okay. Because we don't, we're either, it's either uh, you're going to end up, um, you know, a statistic or we're going to use these programs that we've identified that all of us are going through and start teaching it. But I did, Sean, the first day I got there and I was there with uh, some very close friends from the apartment. I would not walk through the front door of that place, Sean. I said, mm -hmm. this isn't for me. I've got this. This is just a temporary. This is just a, this is just a couple bad days. I did not want to be there. And for the first two weeks, they tell, I was saying, this isn't for me. I would kind of embrace it. And then by the third week, that's when I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. Um, this is where you start doing the EMDR and learning the tools, the, the uh, meditation, all of that, which I thought was, was not you know, something that I was for me was absolutely for me. And that's part of my drive to share my story is we have to change that stigma because it's okay. We've got people hurting across, not just our agency, as you well know, 
every branch of military, law enforcement, fire, especially in these times, it's it's time to check on our brothers and sisters and our fellow empl- uh, employees to make sure they're okay. But there was an absolute time where I said, this isn't for me. Listen, 2020 has been a bitch. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yes, 20, everybody knows how <laughs> tough 2020 has been. And for you, you were going through the same thing that everybody else was going through, but you had an additional burden to carry on your shoulders. And the fact that you were able to get into a program, but yet it took you a couple of weeks for you to kind of finally realize that it was for you. Sounds to me like it was a life-saving program. You're, you're absolutely right, Sean. It did save my life. And, and that's part of what I put out there. Um, there is no question it saved my life because the route I was going um, is unfortunately where a lot of first responders go. It did. And I watched, um, there's probably about 40 people in my group from, like I said, law enforcement, fire, military, I watched families actually change and get back together. I, they have a thing what's called family day. My boys sat with me and my, they, they read you a letter, but you do it in front of everybody. And my kids read me a letter just saying, Hey, we want our dad back. Hmm. He's just a robot. And I'll never forget that, Sean, it impacted me. Um, like no other that I was, I turned into something and we didn't know what was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us do because we, we get that hero mentality. And, and really this is just what they call our story. Our families are what are most important. So that's what I share as I go through this. And this journey isn't done. I work on it every day, trust me. Mm-hmm. And I share it with the crews. And I, I, and as you know, um, after about three weeks in, I call my boss, Chief Tom Porter, and um, who is the most amazing man and caring for his employees. I have to say that he stood by me through this whole thing. Everybody did. And we have several, you know, we're a large department of almost 10,000, but I called him the third week, Sean. And, and I, that's when I said, I, 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 I need to, for my family and my health, I need to resign from that position and go back to the field is where I belong. Um, I'm definitely a fireman. I work back in the firehouse, but now with the tools that I have, I'm even a better person to share with uh, the crews that I'm working with now. So how old are your children? Uh, my boys are 24 and 22, and my oldest is a uh, firefighter for us in Riverside. Okay. So they, they, they knew something was going on. They just didn't know what. What did it mean for you to get those those notes from them, that letter that says they wanted their dad back? What did that mean to you and your overall ability to recover? That was that was it. That was after I heard that, and that was about three weeks, maybe the fourth weekend we had families come in. That was the that was the deal sealer right there. But mm-hmm. you know what's funny, Sean, is they've been they've noted this, this for years. Mm-hmm. Years. As you know, I've got twenty three years with Cal Fire and my kids have noticed it for years, but it really got they didn't, they, they just, you know, how did, they're not trained to answer it to you. Those are your kids. We're supposed to be the role models. I, I'll tell you, Sean, our relationship hasn't been better in years than it is now. And, you know, it's, this was a change for me, for my family. It meant everything. That was a game changer because I knew if I didn't stick with it, the, those boys wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be there to share their lives with them. So have they expressed any concern about their own well-being, given the fact that one of your sons now is in the fire service. They have. And, and another great question is uh, both of them, because you can suffer PTS from being part of that that whole environment is uh, my oldest, you know, we talk daily. Um, our agency has, under the direction of Chief Porter, has leaned forward. I know OES is, it's a bit, as you well know, Governor Newsom with Employee Health and Wellness. They saw the program themselves. They, in fact, were they, they met a lot of the guys that I was in with and our families talked. But they've embraced it. But you know what it ultimately does is, Sean, it gives them the tools to deal with daily stuff that they are going to go through at an early age. 
to so they don't get to the point because I, I'll be honest with you, military, you know, we thought about it, PTSD was a military term. Well, we missed the mark big time because what mm. we're doing right now is reactive. And we're, we're as, as an industry and a profession, we're starting to become more proactive, but there's a lot of damage that's done that has to be fixed. But we need to start at the ground level, even into when you go to a college class to become a law enforcement officer, fire, or military, or whatever it may be that, you know, we talk about fitness, but we got to remember the biggest muscle on our body is our brain. And we kind of missed out on that one. And we have to make sure that we carry that message to our troops. Well, it sounds like it's headed in the right direction. The fact that, you know, there are these official programs, the first responders program, Save a Warrior, there are programs that are popping up left and right. Uh, designed to help folks just like you. The fact that you've got a leader in Tom Porter who can acknowledge that you're not a wimp or people like you are not wimps. You're actually human beings that have legitimate issues that need legitimate care. And uh, I think back in the day that there was, you know, up until fairly recently, that that was the culture, that it was, you know, you got to step up, you got to be a man, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine, get back out there. Kind of like a football player. You know, uh, I've got a compound fracture. Well, get back out there, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Not the case. Not the case. Rubbing dirt on it isn't going to fix anything. No. And, and and again, what an amazing point you just made is we used to have what we called tailboard talks. And we'd go on a, you know, a, a horrific car accident or, you know, somebody died. And we used to sit on the back of the tailboard. And back in that day, my captain go, okay, you guys, yeah, that was pretty bad. Okay, let's go make dinner and we don't talk about it again. That just That's just how it was. Just like you said, rub dirt on it. Well, guess what? That file cabinet eventually gets full. And um, the biggest thing is this is all scientific studies. I had several CT scans showing the swelling of my amygdala and portions of my brain that don't have blood flow that are coming back. So you're exactly right. We kicked that can for a lot of years wow. of, well, you got to man up or whatever it may be. That term is that's actually the most ignorant thing you can say, because the way I look at it is the industry, military, law enforcement and fire. We take an amazing product. We train it. We invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into it and we beat it up. Then we send it to its family and that family unit becomes destroyed. And now that employee comes back with the family issues mm. um, and then they get themselves into trouble, either self-medication or whatever it may be, because they don't know what's wrong with them and they need to try to numb the pain. And then we end up trying to terminate them, which I, I know that the industry is looking at it differently now is what was really going on. That's why the investment from the governor's office into employee support services is we've got a great employee they didn't just all of a sudden decide, oh, well, I'm just going to become a, a bad person. That's the farthest thing from the truth. That person is hurting and we have ways to get them back to their best, yeah. even better. Because one of the things I learned, Sean, is people always go, oh, well, I can't wait to get back to the person I was. Well, the person I was will never be again. But the person I am now is better than what I was. Mm. And, it, and it sounds it sounds different, but it's true after you go through all that training is I'm much better off now. It's the, the whole thing up until now has been so self-destructive on so many levels, the personal level, the professional level, the department level. We'll resume our conversation with Mike shortly on the way. The physical changes to his brain that explains so much, including the noise in his head. Volume in your head is so loud, you just want to turn it down. And guess what? When you don't know how to turn it down and have the tools, there's only one way to turn it down and that's in your life. But not all was lost, he got help. And now, instead of being in the movie, I'm watching the movie and I can turn it off when I need to. And you can too. Back to our conversation with Mike Moeller. 
I want to get back to the thing that you said there about about your brain physically changing. You actually saw with the CT scans, you saw physical change. Yes, in fact, I kept I keep one on my phone. I share it with the uh, stations now being back in the field as a battalion chief. I share it with the employees as they did. There's a program called Brain Paint. That's very new. Um, it was developed by some neuroscientists out of Nevada. Um, they used that on me while I was in this program. And out of Brain Paint, they did several CT scans and you can see the swelling in the CT scan of where those compartments of our brain that have empathy, emotion, uh, decision-making, all of that, you can see where it's just kind of gone to, a, it's 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 in purple is healthy and yellow is bad and it's, it goes just to this fading yellow. And your amygdala should normally be the size of an almond. Mine's the size of a walnut. And that's where your sensory mm-hmm. gets all pushed out from and it becomes swollen from PTS. It is absolutely amazing. So they took those results, got them to a program through RESS in Colorado. I've been in touch with the doctor. She's amazing. But I'm going to do a 10-day one-on-one with their neuroscientists at the University of Colorado to study how because um, I do, I do warrior meditation twice a day that was developed by Navy SEALs, 20 minutes in the evening and 20 minutes early morning to help lessen that swelling. So my de- decision making process, but it really is, it is, it doesn't go away, Sean, but it, it, it's fixable. But it, I'll tell you, I haven't been happier. People even see they don't even recognize me now um, in a better light. So it's a good thing, but it is scientific that there is swelling because technically what they saw on my brain was a traumatic brain injury. I could have been hit with a baseball bat. Wow. Wow. That's that's enlightening right there. So when you look in the mirror now, what do you see? I see a, a very happy person. I see somebody that doesn't live for their job anymore. I live to get some time off and spend it with my kids. But you know what I see, Sean? I see the opportunity. And again, you know how I am. It's not about me. I see the opportunity to share my story. And if it helps one person, then I've done my job is uh, that I can go and speak at every station I go to and let people know it's okay and we can change the stigma. Mike, at your worst, when you looked in the mirror, what did you see? I saw a broken down human being that didn't know it was wrong, that was pretty much ready to just call it quits. Um, I saw a I saw a shell of myself. I was literally a walking zombie that didn't really care, Sean, is, mm. was when I was at my worst. Mm. And you know, the funny thing is the people we work with, they saw it. They just knew something wasn't right. I'm usually, you know, have a smile on my face and happy-go-lucky and something was wrong. And some of our very close friends that work with both you and I, both agencies knew something was wrong, but yet when you become addicted to your significance or you don't want to embrace something's wrong, that's what happens. You mentioned medication, that alcohol wasn't anything that you um, relied on. Have you talked openly at all about what you did rely on? Um, no, not really. I mean, I was prescribed Lexapro through a doctor. Um, I've never, I'm not a prescription drug uh, person. No, and, and that doesn't mean that it's not right. I just, it always, I just remember, you know, in a childhood, uh, my, my dad was the same way. He never, not, not so much never go to the doctor, but we just didn't, you know, unless yeah. it was antibiotics that we didn't really take anything. So when I, when I was, went in and saw a doctor, this was the beginning stages of him. Like, okay, maybe something is wrong with me. One of my, uh, the relationship I was in, she had pointed out something something's just not right. Just go take a look. So I went to this doctor and it was uh, Lexapro and then uh, was prescribed Adderall. Um, mm-hmm. And that those were the two that I was using, but I wasn't using it according pr- to prescription, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it was so um, because I was trying to numb the noise and that lasted probably 
not very long because I knew because it just wasn't me. It was destroying me. It was, you know, I was trying to do the reverse of trying to fall asleep. But mm-hmm. then I knew I had to go to work. And as you well know, we, we had COVID-19 kicked in. At OAS and CAL FIRE, we never stopped. Protecting the citizens of California is a daily, daily thing. And, and so to keep up with that pace, um, it was those two things. Do you think that this was what caused the dissolution of your marriages, looking back on it? I do. I really do. I, I mean, I can't put it all on there, but I know now that being going through that, if I had had these tools, Sean, years ago as a brand new firefighter, um, and I know here in Cal Fire under um, Chief Stangland at the Academy, um, we are, you know, we're doing, yo- there, there's yoga as part of it, but there's also mental health and wellness training. If I had those tools, uh, Sean, I, I, I would say that, yeah, I probably those relationships or at least the one from the boy's mom probably would still be intact because I would come home and would never switch it off. Hmm. So what is the awareness now? You go in the office today. What is the awareness of this kind of problem when you talk to others? Are they aware of it? They are. They are. In fact, uh, like I said, I'm at a station right now. Uh, the crew that I'm with, you know, they're, they're here eating lunch right now. We've talked about it several times. Uh, yes, they know. And they, and they, and, and when I share my story, it's not, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. It's, it's, it, there's a commonality across the board. So, um, the, the, the dealing with it, that's part of it is sharing with it. But I think what it is too, Sean, is that I have to, I was so wrapped up in, in just all I had was my job mm-hmm. is I live for my family and the daily things. Of course, we're all uh, type A personalities, you know, and OES and, and Cal Fire, all of our local government partners, we're on the job all the time, but we, you have to unplug. I, I noticed one thing being the deputy director of communications, um, a lot of the media, um, we have to monitor that. What I realized is that you have to unplug daily. You do, you have to take that discipline and you have to have a routine. I'm back to working out twice a day. I get up at five in the morning every day and I work out at five o'clock in the evening every day. I Or I squeeze it in twice a day somehow for that mental health and wellness mm-hmm. and then the meditation. But I think it's those daily things is when you start drifting from your, your pattern because patterns are a good thing. Um, then you need to take a self-check and, and, and see if something wrong because those things happen every day. Yeah, and if you didn't have a pattern, maybe you should get one. Yeah, there, there is no question. Like I said, we, we train our bodies and we always talk about physical fitness and eating healthy. And we're seeing more because of COVID and people being home. I mean, people are under stressors that we haven't seen in our lifetimes, not, not just jobs, but homeschooling and all of that is you have to have a routine and a pattern, a healthy one, of course, and stick to it. Because I'll tell you, I really feel, Sean, that it it, uh, it clears my head. And I have to remember, they called it, there was a couple different. We called it PTSD because it was disorder. Well, learning from the neuroscientists, uh, it's not a disorder because most disorders you're born with. It's a PTSI. It's an injury. It occurred. It injured your brain, but it can be fixed, but it doesn't get fixed, a magic pill, and then it just goes away. Mm. Um, for me, PTSD, the best way to put it, and I still go through what's called EMDR is Instead of being in the movie, I'm watching the movie and I can turn it off when I need to. Oh, like that. So you said you were close. You were one step. One step from what? One step that I just, it was time for me that I felt, and we have to remember too, and this is very in-depth, is that one step away from I didn't need to be here on this, you know, around anymore, which goes into the whole, uh, you know, getting towards the suicide is 
you your brain shuts down again pts shuts down empathy and compassion and your emotional processing center so when you think about suicide for pts suicide for pts is something that is that you don't think oh i you know i feel sorry for myself i'm gonna check out it doesn't do that your brain doesn't focus that way until you get help is what you learn is that your brain just shuts down and there's no need for you to function anymore. That's what happens. So when people, there used to be a stigma, oh, you know what? They were a quitter. That's a selfish act. Right. I was one of those people, Sean. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, years ago. I remember, you know, I've been on Honor Guard 22, almost 22 years is we had our first, I remember having Honor Guard go to our first suicide years ago. This was in early 2000s and there'd been others, but this was the first one they'd requested us. And, and I remember we said, no, we're going to go is that. No, it's not a selfish act because um, people don't process, PTS doesn't process compassion, emotion, or emotional function to uh, think about, well, you know, I feel sorry for myself and I'm going to end it. It's, I have no more functioning reason to be here. Mm. And you can't, I always say this, one of the military guys, the two Navy SEALs that I went through with, they said the volume, they always say the volume in your head is so loud, you just want to turn it down. And guess what? When you don't know how to turn it down and have the tools, there's only one way to turn it down, and that's in your life. So, Mike, you've mentioned physical fitness. You've mentioned first mm-hmm. responders program, save a warrior, the warrior meditation. What else would you recommend anybody who thinks that they have uh, some of the same symptoms that you had, maybe some of the same issues that you had? What would you recommend to those folks? I The first thing is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because people think it has to do with it because PTS, it can turn into addiction. It doesn't make you a bad person. But I think one, my biggest thing is one, don't be afraid Two, we're going to change the stigma. But three, if you're feeling it, reach out to somebody at work that you feel we have an amazing employee services support program, but don't be afraid. I think that's what a lot of our employees, they're afraid to reach out and say, hey, there's something wrong or my family's falling apart. Don't be afraid to phone a friend because it's okay. You know, over 80% of law enforcement first responders are dealing with this and they're not alone. I think that's the first thing and, and reach out and ask for help and do it soon because it becomes, like you said, being wandering that road, Sean, to the very end, I was close. I was one step, I was one step and knowing that um, it could be prevented because I didn't know how to ask for help. Um, or I didn't even know what was wrong with me. I thought I was fine. So I think don't be afraid, but if something's wrong and you'll know it, you'll know it. Your family will tell you, your 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 wife, your husband, just reach out for help. Don't think that it's a bad thing. It's okay. It's unfortunately a, a part of this job, but it's fixable and it's manageable. So don't be afraid. Well, I think that's a very appropriate place to wrap up this conversation. Um, Mike Moeller. Uh, battalion chief with Cal Fire. This has been a long journey for you, even though it's only been 2020, but we all know 2020 has been a long freaking year, hasn't it? <laughs> you know, if 2020 was a car, Sean, can it just pull over? I'll get out and walk the rest of the way. <laughs> I'll walk with you, man. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, thanks so much for uh, sharing your story with us. And um, I know that there are some folks out there who can use this information and maybe, you know, help themselves or help a friend or family member. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, talking and uh, stay safe out there. As always, Sean and your podcasts are great. And uh, for for your listeners, they can even contact me direct if they need help and I'll carry them through. So thanks again. Appreciate it, Mike. Take care of yourself and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right, my friend. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Wow. I hope you learned a lot like I did. My heartfelt thanks to you, Mike, for opening up and sharing your story with us. 
Now, Mike mentioned the programs that are helping him, as well as a lot of other terms, facts and figures, that kind of thing. Well, I'll have many of those listed in the notes section of this post at oesnews.com. And once you're there, just click on the podcast tab and look for this episode. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. We'd appreciate it. And if you already subscribed, thank you. For questions, comments, and suggestions, email me at media at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.